How did the upper echelon of tight ends change this year? Will Des Bryant be Des Bryant again in 2016? And is Devontae Freeman the 101 for drafts next season? We've got a great show for you. The third place finisher and $20,000 winner in the Football Guys Players Championship, Louis Ditta, is here. I'm Eric Balkman, inviting you to stick around. Your Eric Balkman show starts now. Live from the WRST Radio Studios in beautiful Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and heard around the world on the WRST stream, it's the Eric Balkman Show. Welcome to this special New Year's Day edition episode of the Eric Balkman Show, presented by the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour and MyFFPC.com, live from the Gatorade Studios. Support for the show is also provided in part by Honda and the new Honda 2017 Ridgeline. The next generation Honda Ridgeline will further improve on the space, comfort, and utility that made the original one one of the most forward-thinking vehicles in its class. It's the all-new truck with all-new tricks. Remember to watch its live stream debut at the Detroit Auto Show on January 11th right at Honda.com. Greetings and salutations to all the Balkaholics listening tonight. I'm your slightly above-average host, Eric Balkman, and my usual co-host, the Dizzle, Dave Gerzak, has the night off. Uh, so, obviously, we're doing an Eric Balkman Show episode of the HSFF Hour tonight. So, without further ado, let me bring in uh, tonight's extra special co-host. Uh, although he has several experience, uh, several years of experience playing fantasy football in home leagues with his friends, he is a relative newcomer to the high-stakes arena as a second-year player in the FFPC and the Football Guys Players Championship. After winning one FPC league title last year, he followed it up this season with a combined 24-9 record across Across his three football guys leagues bagging another league title along the way he then made it all the way to third place overall in the championship round good enough for a twenty thousand dollar prize please welcome my co-host for this evening the now twenty thousand dollar richer louis ditta louis welcome to the show man congrats on the win and happy new year hey thanks eric happy new year you too Thank you very much. We're starting it off with a bang. We obviously don't have any more FFPC action going on in Week 17. We have the playoff challenge right around the corner, but still very exciting to uh, be watching uh, Week 17 football with some playoff spots on the line, even if it doesn't hold the same fantasy cachet as we had for the first 16 weeks. And I'm actually, I have the Sugar Bowl on right now, uh, and I'm watching Ole Miss just trounce Oklahoma State. Louis, you're a dynasty guy. Have you seen this Laquan Treadwell play yet? Yeah, you know, I was watching a little bit of that earlier tonight as well, and then, but I thought I'd better turn it off. I want to be focused on the show. <laughs> yeah, Dave keeps talking my ear off about like Actually, Dave's been talking uh, my ear off about Laquan Treadwell uh, since last year, and he definitely uh, is, uh, is, is playing very well tonight. But 
uh, as Louis said, coming up on tonight's show, we're going to talk about where Jarvis Landry is uh, going to be drafted next year, what we think of Matt Jones's dynasty value, and Louis might even share some of his tips on the aforementioned FFPC's World Famous Playoff Challenge. Shout out to the chat room right now. Uh, post your questions in there, guys. Uh, if you have any for me or for Louis, you can also connect with us on Twitter at HSFFHour. At Eric Balkman is uh, where I'm at on Twitter. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash the high stakes fantasy football hour. If you want to call and uh, give us, uh, excuse me, uh, have a conversation with us tonight, give us a call at 347 426 3682. That's 347 Game Over. The FedEx inbox is high stakes fantasy football at gmail.com. We have some emails in there according to our producer and mutual friend Rob. And, of course, our audio engineer, Bryce, and him will get those questions to us later on in the fantasy feedback segment uh, as we uh, kick off the bottom half of the show uh, at half past the hour. Um, I want to, uh, you know, normally we catch up on the news, but since Louis has never been on the show before, I figure we should all get to know him as a person, as a uh, fantasy player. So let's uh, do the interview at the top of the show, Louis. Congrats on uh, the third-place win. We know you're very talented in the high-stakes space, but when you're not playing high-stakes fantasy football, what are you doing for a living? Yeah, well, thank you, Eric. I don't know how talented I I can say I am in in fantasy yet, but until I do it over several years. But as a profession, I'm an attorney, and I also serve as a judge in Harris County, Texas. A uh, an attorney and a judge, you know what that means, ladies and gentlemen, longtime listeners of the show. I have to uh, bring on the proper music for uh, for Louis tonight. Obviously, uh, third place in the Football Guys Players Championship in a twenty thousand dollar payday certainly carries enough uh, cachet and sass with it. But uh, bringing uh, an attorney onto the show, you get the L.A. Law theme song as we uh, <laughs> as we, we kick off your interview. Very exciting. I always love having the attorneys. And, and a judge, my goodness. Yeah, I didn't even realize that. Uh, the fact that you're playing Dynasty Fantasy with us, Louie, uh, and the fact that you're a judge, I think you'd be a great impartial guy whenever we get trade protests. We can run them <laughs> by you because I, I feel like you're trained in both. Yeah, that'd be great. I tell you what, I'd be glad to do that kind of stuff. You know, in my league this year, this was the first year I have did a Dynasty, and, and I, I'm probably going to do another one next year because I really enjoy it because it's just so much more uh, involved and having to make decisions not just on you know who's going to be the – next point getter but uh but yeah there was one in my league this year that was kind of a joke you know someone was doing it as a joke and I looked at it thought there is no way they're going to let this thing go through and I think one of the guys on in my league were playing a joke but so I I bet you guys have some tough decisions throughout the year and I have to say that that 95 percent of the first of all we don't get that I mean when you get high stakes dynasty stuff it's people competing very hard all season long and it's it's rare that we get a trade protest but once in a while we do and I would say 95 percent of them Dave's able to handle but there there's a like five percent of the time he'll run it by uh, me or he'll run it by uh, Alex uh, to to see what we think but usually he handles all those but I'm, I'm telling you man I think that I think that we've hit on something here we we uh we get the best of both worlds with uh, with your mind. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll have to run uh, run that by Dave to see what he thinks. But uh, getting back to the redraft aspect of fantasy football, your squad was one sitting in 138th place going into the championship round of the Football Guys Players Championship, and it really went bananas. I think it averaged like something like 155, 156 points uh, during the regular season, but then. It like a 170 or a 180 week, and then like a 213 and, and a, a 180 or one. I think it was a 191 to finish it off. Uh, what were your thoughts on how well this team could perform and would perform going into that championship round? You know, I um, 
you know, when it gets to the championship round, obviously, you know, the, the the most important thing is to get there first. But when it when it got there, I really thought that even though you know 138 is pretty far down, I, I I saw that a lot of my guys were starting to peak. I mean. If you look at the running backs, you know, I had D'Angelo Williams, Devontae Freeman, and David Johnson. And, you know, of course, David Johnson came in late in the year and just really kind of took over and turned into one of those guys that can kind of just carry your team alone through the championship. But then you look at D'Angelo, and he was having uh, some great games in there. And, of course, and Devontae, even though uh, he didn't have all great games, he's getting all the touches. And I, and I really felt with those guys combined with Jordan Reed and and if you look at the other guys that were in the top, almost all of them had Jordan Reed in their lineup as well. He was started peaking there late in the season, and I was fortunate enough um, to pick up Matthew Stafford late in the season because he had a weak schedule uh, pretty much going into the end of the season. So I felt like I had a pretty good shot. Now, I had no idea I'd do as well as I did, and I was very thankful for that. But, um, but yeah, I think when you really look at it, it it's all about the, the end of the season and, and uh, making sure your guys are peaking at the right time. And there's a lot of good teams out there, and then – uh, do very well in the regular season, and all of a sudden, for various reasons, their their players uh, start to falter toward the end, and and it's a shame. But I, I really thought I had a pretty good shot, just because I felt like I was very deep. I think that's important, and the depth I had was was guys that were were scoring some points out there too. Yeah, and I think depth is kind of underrated when it comes to the championship round because the you can't pick up people weeks fourteen to sixteen. I mean, you got to have solid guys. Uh, on your bench, uh, you know, in case of injury or in case of suspension or in case something crazy happens. So I think that that depth is certainly important and, and certainly you want to, um, uh, you know, definitely uh, um, get your guys to be performing at the same level they were all season or, or even higher when it comes to that. And, uh, and your team definitely did that uh, going into that Monday night game of week 16 between the Broncos and the Bengals. You already had 177-plus points on the scoreboard, and you had Demarius Thomas going. Now, he only went five catches for 79 yards, but that did shoot you up uh, the leaderboard. What was it like you know, watching that game? And I should ask, did you watch the game? Because I know some guys <laughs> like to stay away from watching it. But did you watch the game? And if so, what was it like seeing your squad move up the leaderboard with every Demarius Thomas catch? I did. I tell you, you know, that it, for someone who hasn't experienced, that was a whole different way to watch a game. I mean, it's not, unlike any other kind of fantasy game you or football game you watch because there's so much at stake. And it was kind of a bag of mixed emotions. You know, you're excited. I, I watched the majority of the game standing up. And it, it's what's so funny is, you know, obviously uh, yeah, I needed like 22 points to, to get to the top. And I thought, well, you know, it's a possibility, but a long shot. But every time they came out of a huddle, it's funny, I'd, I'd look to make sure that Demarius was in the huddle or even in the game. And then I would even follow him to see what side of the field he would be on so that whenever the quarterback would go back to pass, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd be hoping for him to at least be throwing on my side of the field. It was it was exciting, you know, it was frustrating. But, uh, you know, it's all a game, and it, it, it was just a lot of fun to be able to to watch the game and, and to have so much at stake. And, and uh, I really enjoyed it. it. It was something else. But at the end of the game, I have to admit, I was pretty worn out. Yeah, and, you know, it, it, what was it like seeing so, – so obviously it looked like the game was coming to an end in, in regulation when McManus was lining up for that field goal. And then you're thinking, okay, this could be it. You know, at least I had a really good showing. And then he biffs it. Now what's going through your head, now that you're knowing, man, I'm going to get an overtime session out here. Maybe DT gets it done now. Exactly. You know, and it was funny. It was so important because I think I was sitting around fifth or fourth at that point. And so, you know, obviously at, at, at that point I was thinking, man, not only is it just, you know, do I, am I still have a shot for the whole thing, but 
I also had a shot to move up, and and, and sure enough, I, Demarius got a couple of receptions in the overtime that um, that wound up, you know, putting me into third place. And so, yeah, I had to admit I was I was certainly rooting for overtime. And even further, you know, there at the end of the game after they kicked the field goal, I was hoping for Green Bay to go. I'm sorry, not Green Bay, but I was hoping for the uh, uh, help me out here, Eric. Denver is playing. Yeah, yeah. It's Cincinnati. Cincinnati, yeah, Cincinnati to come down. Um, come down and kick another field goal just so I'd have another shot, but then they recovered that fumble. But, yeah, it was something to watch that kind of game. And, and you know, to, to be honest with you, you know, the, the night before I had Blair Walsh, and so when the when the early games were over, I was kind of thinking, well, you know, I'm, I, I forgot, I was 45, 46. I was thinking I probably don't have much of a chance. And little, I didn't even watch the night game, the Sunday night game. And little did I know that Blair Walsh would come back and, or kick six field goals and score 23 points. And so – it was. I didn't even watch the game, and later on I checked the, the scoreboard and saw that he scored 23 points and thought, my gosh, I'm back in it. So it, it was entertaining. Yeah, I, you know, it, it, that was that was an interesting game to watch, too. That whole Blair Walsh thing is, uh, you know, what we're going to get to talk about what happened to, to Dave in the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship when he's back on the show. So I don't want to bring up uh, a, a, whole, a whole lot about it, but... He, uh, there was a, a player, uh, actually a, a former guest of the show, Justin McCord, who was climbing up the leaderboard, and he had Jeremy Hill and Blair Walsh on Sunday night, and he was quite a ways down on the leaderboard. But then Blair Walsh, I'm telling you, man, the Vikings would move the ball with no issue, and then once they got in the field goal range, they couldn't complete a pass, they couldn't move the chains, and Blair Walsh was just on fire, just field goal after field goal after field I mean, I could not believe it. And, you know, because the Vikings were crushing him so bad, you know, it, it the fantasy storyline was not Blair Walsh at all until people are like, wow, that's three field goals for Blair Walsh. Wow, that's four field goals. He's got five field goals. Now. It was just crazy uh, uh, watching it, uh, um, it, you know, if you would have uh, seen it. And then, obviously, that had to make your Monday morning great oh. when you see Walsh uh, with the oh, 23 awesome. points. You know, and I can't imagine throughout, you know, because there's other sites like the Kentucky Championship or or people who are out there playing, I can't imagine how many uh, games that actually changed having Blair Walsh. Because, you know, he was a pretty good scorer throughout the season. And if you were somebody who was just going out there looking for a kicker who had a good average, you know, he might be somebody you would have picked up. And so I imagine he was on quite a few teams. And I imagine it changed quite a few positions uh, on a lot of leaderboards throughout, you know, all of fantasy football. Louis Ditta is our guest tonight on the uh, High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour, third place in the Football Guys Players Championship, cashing a $20,000 prize. And, Louis, you, we talked about it at the at the top of the interview. Your third-place team was incredibly deep. Uh, just for everybody out there, these were the players that, that you had on your bench uh, in Week 16. Matt Forte, Alan Hearns, Jeremy Lankford, Dante Moncrief, and Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, these are guys that are starting for so many other teams out there, but you had an extraordinarily uh, uh, tough group of decisions to make in order to figure out who to start, who to bench that final week. Tell us a little bit about how you decided on the guys that ended up making it to your starting lineup. You know, I probably have a story like a lot of other people out there. You know, you know, it, everybody wants depth, and I think depth is great. And I would take depth any time over not having depth. But, you know, when you have depth like that, you also get with it tough decisions on starting lineups. And then, you know, so it, it was difficult. And I have to admit, on Saturday night, I had Emmanuel Sanders in my lineup. And, and, and it was tough because, you know, I had him, Demarius Thomas as well. But I looked back and I, and I was doing some research over the last six weeks and I saw that, you know, first of all, the weather was going to be bad in Denver. It was windy. It was 15 degrees. And, and then I saw that, uh, you know, Julius Thomas and Alan Hearns were going against the New Orleans defense and they are going to be playing in a dome. 
And New Orleans had uh, basically, you know, had like the worst defense against tight ends for the previous six weeks. And uh, Thomas, you know, Bortles was starting to rely on Thomas a lot more. He had he had like six receptions for 100 yards the week before, and, and had like prior to that had four weeks in a row where he had touchdowns. And and you combine that with the one and a half, you know, points per reception. And I was thinking, you know, I had it was really between Hearns, Sanders, and and Thomas. And when I when I figured out that you know that uh, you know, the New Orleans was, was, like I said, the worst defense against tight ends. I thought, you know, Thomas is playing pretty well. He's pretty hot. Tarns has been kind of an up-and-down guy, just getting a couple of receptions, depends on TDs. Sanders had a great week the week before, but, but prior to that had a couple of slow weeks. And so I went with Thomas, and obviously those guys who who know uh, what happened in the, in the on my bench, there were a lot of guys out there on the bench that scored a lot more points, but but ultimately made the wrong decision, But uh, or it tried to be the wrong decision, but I, it was based on good analysis, and it just didn't turn out. Uh, the way it could have been, but I, I have to tell you this: this is a game. It's a fun game, and I am just completely and honestly pleased to have finished in third. Yeah, and you you certainly should be proud of that. I mean, that is a, an amazing accomplishment. And it and the thing is, when you Dave Dave says this on the show, it, it seems like about every other week. When you have a team that deep, it is nearly impossible to make the correct call week in and, and week out, e- even on a weekly basis. I mean, especially when you have like four guys for two spots or three guys for one spot or five guys for three spots. I mean, it's chances are you're going to screw at least one of them up. That, that's just how it works, you know. Right. And all, all you can do is make the best decision uh, based on the information that you have at the time and then whatever happens, happens. It's It's a game played with a funny-shaped ball that bounces weird, so certainly weird stuff happens. Uh, but like you said, uh, to, to, to finish in third place, uh, that is an incredibly awesome accomplishment. Looking back, I look back at the draft, uh, Louis, for, for this league. You picked uh, out of the 12 spots, so the last pick of the draft, and three of your first five picks were on the Broncos' passing game. Demarius Thomas in the first round, Emmanuel Sanders in the third, and then Peyton Manning in the fifth. We always talk about you know, stacking players in, in daily games, you know, trying to take advantage of a good matchup. But is stacking players from the same offense kind of an underrated strategy when you talk about high-stakes season-long games? You know, you know, I think it can be. I, you, know, you know, I've done a lot of reading over the years and stuff about, you know, about fantasy and drafting and stuff. And, of course, you know, you get to that part about saying draft the best player available. And, you know, some people want to look at, you know, bye weeks and things like that. And, and I, I understand that. And, and also whether it's the same team, and and so forth, but you know, a lot of times you just have to draft the best guy available. And and, and uh, the Peyton Manning thing is kind of funny. When I got down there, I, I really thought about stacking, you know. And I thought, you know what, if I'm going to have Thomas, I'm going to have Sanders because that wasn't my plan. But he, at that time, I thought Emmanuel Sanders was the best guy available. And and, um, and I thought, why not go ahead and get Manning too and just see how I can do with him. And obviously, it didn't turn out so well on the Manning side. But I will tell you that I played him early, and I played Sanders and Thomas early, and I had a really good, a good early season record. And I, you know, even before, you know, I even had, I didn't even have D'Angelo Williams back then, and so um, you know, it turned out pretty good. So I think it can be. I mean, there's a lot of teams out there if you think about it. Uh, New England Patriots got Gronk. I know he's a tight end, but you consider Gronk and Edelman were good scorers. You got Pittsburgh with Bryant and Antonio Brown. They, you know, and they can actually score a lot of points as well. There, there are a lot of teams out there that I think you can do pretty well. With having both run uh, both receivers, as long as you're on a passing team and throws a lot, you know, throws throws the ball a lot. But, but going in, that wasn't my strategy. I just went in and took the best player available that I thought at that moment, and it and it turned out pretty good for me. I know there was a lot of other factors, but 
if I was in the same position again, I don't think I would look at the the team itself and and, and stay away from the guy just because he's on the same team. I would look at how many points I think he's going to score during the season. Yeah, it's a testament really to you know a lot of people think that the the draft really makes the team, and 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 we've said on the show it, it doesn't. I mean, the waiver wire plays such an important role. Um, and depth, you know, to uh, to what you said, Louis. Depth and the waiver wire plays such an an important aspect in managing teams uh, to the top of a national contest. You're, I mean, this is an example. Not only did you take a quarterback semi early or quote unquote early, what a lot of people would say is early in the fifth round, but it was a guy that really didn't have that great of a season and then didn't even play, um, you know, the, during the stretch run. I think of that as an example. Jake Seeley, who won the uh, FFPC Pros versus Joes contest this year. I mean, his first two picks were uh, C.J. Anderson and Justin Forsett, and he still beat out not not everybody in his league. I, I mean, he not only did he beat everybody in his 12-team league, he beat everybody overall. So I think that the fact is, um, or the facts are that if you are able to build depth like you did, if you're able to draft depth, uh, draft depth, and then if you're uh, you know able to um, overcome some of those uh, early round picks. I mean, your team is as good as any as as you really proved uh, in the FF. Excuse me, the FPC this year. The the team that you ended up taking third with was drafted on August sixth, and your other two drafts uh, in the Football Guys Players Championship were before that as well, Louis. Why was it important uh, for you to get those three drafts uh, in really before preseason got rolling and got hot uh, in the NFL and in draft season? You know, that's pretty impressive you picked up on that, Eric. But I, I um, you know, in previous years, I always did the drafts like right after preseason when all the information's out and, and right before um, the season started. And I know it's kind of a little bit risky because you got people that get injured and lose the entire season during preseason and so forth. But coming into this season, I thought I'd give it a try because I, I basically felt like I was a lot more knowledgeable coming in this year. I kind of knew what was going on. I paid more attention. Uh, I did a dynasty draft a little bit earlier than that, so I kind of did my research a little early. And I thought to myself, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of times you can pick up some gems that don't really show themselves until preseason. And, and maybe somebody's not really, you know, maybe not, not studying it as much and stuff like that may not – draft this person or may not draft him as high or low or whatever it may be. And so I decided this year I wanted to go ahead and just give it a shot and, and do my three-pack and do all three of them before preseason. And, uh, and, it, and it didn't – I mean, I, it turned out it turned out pretty well for me because I did pretty well in all the three leagues. And so I probably will stick with that. Um, but uh, I just I just felt like I, I had a little bit more confidence going in, and I, mean, I felt like I had some, some guys I wanted to draft that maybe I thought they might show themselves in preseason that – that somebody else might not draft. So that that was kind of it, and, and you know how it is. I think everybody has to kind of do what works for them, and now that, that it worked out pretty good, I'll probably stay with that. Yeah, you know, we've had uh, Jack Hahn uh, on the show a couple of times, also actually another lawyer, who talks about – or he talked about the football guys draft. He said he always likes to do at least one really early. And I think the last three years, he's actually done the first uh, FPC on 4th of July weekend that, that we offer. Um, he, he always likes to do one early and one super late. And his rationale is, um, you know, if you draft one late, all the information is out there. I mean, everybody has access to, to pretty much everything. And, and you kind of, you get different data points in the preseason to kind of know uh, what, you know, way uh, the NFL teams are shifting as far as the roles for each player. Um, and, and you also obviously lessen the chance of risk of an injury because it is so close to the start of the season. However, when you draft early on in the year, like you said, Louie, 
you know, not everybody's always that tuned in yet. And a lot of guys are just so excited that, that draft season's finally here. They'll just go in blind or, or they just, you know, want to have a beer and draft the team and, and not really necessarily are, are super serious, super into it yet. And the value is there. I mean, you can get incredible value on, on guys uh, that, that you just won't be able to get in, uh, in uh, early September at the same spot. I mean, that, that's how it is every year. So I, I think that that's a great point uh, that you bring up as well. Uh, congrats on your second place finish uh, in the FFPC 750 Dynasty number 22. Uh, your squad there, I checked that out. It's very, very good. But some of your wideouts getting a little bit long in the tooth. Uh, what's your offseason approach going to be in that league to guys like uh, Brandon Marshall, Calvin Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, guys who, especially Fitz and Marshall, who sort of had renaissance seasons this year, Calvin maybe uh, not so much, but all guys definitely uh, not going upward uh, in, in their career uh, trajectory based on their age anymore. What are you going to be doing with those guys, actively shopping them, listening to offers, or standing pat? You know, I, I think I will. I think I would maybe do a combination. I, you know, I think all three of them, uh, I think, um, you know, I think Calvin Johnson has a, a, a decent chance to come back with a, a year that, you know, if he can stay healthy, have some pretty good season. I mean, pretty good, uh, have a pretty good season, have some good games. He may not be the guy who carries you an entire season, but I think he's a plug-and-play kind of guy uh, for a couple more years. And I think that Brandon Marshall also might be one of those kind of guys. But I will shop him. I mean, you know, that dynasty, this is my first year, and I really enjoy it because there's so much more involved in it. And I and I do think you know luckily as you you know I have Antonio Brown so I did go with some youth I think I'll hopefully have him for a few more years to go but I probably will look to to see if anybody wants to go out there and maybe look at an early round draft uh, pay attention to the NFL draft this coming season and and see if I can pick up a couple guys you know a couple guys in my league they went all youth um, this past year but then of course obviously you know it takes a while for those guys to get up to speed and they struggled during the season so. Um, I don't know. I think I probably will. I'll probably maybe keep one, maybe two of them, but I'll probably shop them as well and, and, and go out there and plug them in, plug in some youth and, and, and see what, what I can I can get. Because it's kind of a hit-and-miss deal, you know. You go out there, if you think about this past year, and guys like Doyle Green Beckham, it wasn't until late in the season until they really started showing some some uh, signs of coming out. And then you had guys like Kevin White, you know, that were out there and, and didn't ever play and so forth. So, I, yeah, I think I probably will, you know, go out there and try to do some things to get a little younger there. But I think uh, – with Russell Wilson and Jai, or however you pronounce his name, and Lamar Miller, who probably will wind up another team. I think I've got some some good guys to build around. That's always interesting too when you get the guy, you know, in Lamar Miller, and then his backup in Jai, and then you, I mean, you have the possibility of of having two starting running backs there next year if if Miller moves on from Miami and and Jai is the starter. Then you have the starter Miami, and I'm assuming whoever signs Lamar Miller is probably going to sign him to be a pretty significant contributor in their backfield. So that is uh, certainly going to be an interesting storyline to pay attention to in 2016. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're not to 2016 yet because we do have one more event left in the season, and that is, of course, the FFPC uh, World Famous Playoff Challenge. Louis, you already have two entries in it. We don't know all the teams that are in the playoffs yet. Uh, I don't think, uh, I, I think it's, it, we're still waiting on one or two more um, uh, in the NFL. So we don't know everybody who's going to be in there, but for somebody who is just joining the playoff challenge uh, for the first time uh, where, where you can only, obviously no salary cap, you can only pick one player per team. What is sort of the advice that you would give them? Is it, is it to go super contrary and um, you know, take uh 
um, what would be a good example? Taking um, a Brandon LaFell from the Patriots instead of Edelman, Gronk, or Brady. Taking uh, a guy like uh, James Starks instead of Eddie Lacy for the Packers, or or taking a guy, um, you know, uh, a team with with a with a strong defense in the Carolina Panthers. Maybe go something different, and you take Jonathan Stewart or Cam Newton. What what sort of your approach, or what's going to be your approach, without giving away too much strategy? Uh, what's going to be your approach for the playoff challenge uh, this season? Yeah, you know. I, I think what you brought up is important, too. I, I agree with what you said. You've got to kind of separate yourself. You know, there's going to be a lot of people out there that are going to go with the big names, whoever the favorites are to be in the Super Bowl. And, you know, the Super Bowl being double points, you you, you have to start with who's going to be in the Super Bowl. Because with being, it being worth two points or double the points, you're going to have to start with who's going to get there. And I think you do have to take some gambles on which team will get there. And when you decide which team, possibly like you were just saying, maybe like a LaFell or, or which player, because you know everybody's going to be on the guys like Brady, Gronkowski, or, or any of their favorites that are going to the Super Bowl, the Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Browns, and so forth. So to separate yourself and to really you know, have the chance to win the prize, to, to, to move up to the top, you're going to have to make a gutsy move or a gutsy pick, and you're going to have to be right about it. And I think that what you brought up was, was a good way of looking at it. You start with the Super Bowl. Uh, maybe start with the final four teams that you think are going to get there. Maybe even maybe if you want to get crazy, pick a wild card team and go with a, a, a high point scorer for one of those guys. But whatever it may be, I think it's really going to get down to the, the Super Bowl. You're going to have to probably have you know some two pretty good scorers in that Super Bowl, and, and I think you're probably going to have to be somebody who not everybody else in the contest is picking as well. So I, I think you pretty much have it there. I think something that's always important to keep in mind is that the NFL playoffs – Almost always, with the exception this year, probably whoever Washington hosts in the first round, the home team is going to be favored in, in just about every single playoff game. And it it almost never goes that way. I mean, you got you sort of got to guess the right road teams that are that are coming away with the win and picking the right players off those teams. It would, it's what makes this contest so maddening and so fun uh, because there's so many different ways you can slice it. Uh, not only for you know picking the right teams uh, that are moving on, but picking the right players from those teams is uh, is so crucial to that as well. So that's going to be a lot of fun when that thing uh, kicks off. I believe it is a week from tomorrow. We uh, we have our first playoff game. So much fun, Louis. We got a couple of emails here uh, that came in from some listeners that I wanted to read to you and uh, pick your brain at. The first one is from Eric in Orlando, Florida. He writes, "I own Arian Foster in my dynasty league." And now I'm wondering if I held on to him one year too long. If you owned him, would you be actively trying to move him before the start of the season? And would you settle for a second-round rookie pick for him? Congrats on the winnings. That's Eric in Orlando, Florida. Eric, thanks for the email. Uh, Louis, Arian Foster, from a dynasty perspective, again, a, a guy sort of on the downside of his career, still the man in Houston. I mean, they don't really have a good guy behind him right now. We still have the draft and free agency coming up. But what would you be doing if you owned Arian Foster? You know, uh, and being a Houston guy myself, you know, I'm right here close to the situation. And um, I think, uh, you know, Arian, the, the problem with right now with, with throwing him out there is, is that, you know, his value is probably not very high right now because of, because of the way he finished the season with the injury and so forth. And, of course, his, his history of injuries. And he's somebody, you know, that I've stayed away from because of his injury history. So, to be honest with you, if I were to get a second round in a dynasty, I, I personally probably would, would be interested in it, uh, uh, mainly because of his, his um his injury history. However, if you didn't get that, I, I'd hold on to him a little while because he also has a great chance to come back next year. And and with with being the starting running back, 
and uh, maybe have a few good games and have more value after he's had a few good games because he's certainly he's certainly the workhorse whenever he is healthy. Yeah, I think the I think I agree with you. The only way I would turn down a second well, there's two ways I'd turn around a uh, turn down a second rounder for him. If it was like you know like a two ten, two eleven, two twelve, sort of the back end of the second round, I don't know if I would if I would take it. And if my team was was sort of in a situation, I don't want to say win now, but a team that where I had a lot of guys approaching 30 or maybe on the wrong side of 30, then I might hang on with him, uh, hang on to him one more year and uh, and have have a go with Foster as, as a key cog in my backfield. Other than that, though, I think a second-round pick for Arian Foster right now is really, really good. Uh, Jimmy in Lubbock, Texas, uh, he writes, I'm, oh, he writes, excuse me, I'm curious as to your philosophy on getting your guys, as Balky likes to say, a round or two early in drafts, versus scooping up the value as it drops to you. If those are the two opposite ends of the spectrum, where did your 2015 tendencies lean? That is from Jimmy in Lubbock, Texas. So certainly uh, two schools of thought, or the major two schools of thought, uh, Louis, that we've had on the show is you need to target the guys you want and be willing to pay uh, pay for them around, sometimes two rounds early in order to get them on your squad. And then there's other guys that come on that say, you know, there's certain guys I like, but I got to get them at the right spot. I'm not going to overdraft anybody. And even if there's a guy that maybe I'm not too into, but he falls to me at a really good value, then I'm going to take him. Where do you kind of fall on on that spectrum? You know, that's a. I mean, that's, you know, that's the toughest thing about every draft. You know, you go in, you have these certain guys that are your favorites, and then you have other guys you want to stay away from. And the next thing you know, you're sitting there in this, you know, seventh round, and you're having to take this guy who. You really don't want to take. I think, you know, the, the best way to approach it is really to rank your guys, you know, before because you, you don't have enough time to really think about it. And, I, and I'm, I I live by the train of thought. If you really want somebody, for instance, this year, like a, somebody like a David Johnson, if you really wanted him before the season started, and keep in mind, you know, it was a committee there for the longest time through the season. But, you know, when it really matters, you know, when it would get down to your playoffs and your league and the, the championship, you know, look what happens. And that same kind of thing happens every year. You got somebody like that, and you really want him. I think you you got to go after somebody like that a couple rounds early because somebody else might get him, and it might be the difference in you winning or losing. But when it comes to the guys that have been around the NFL for quite some time, like the Brandon Marshalls or the Calvin Johnsons or the Emmanuel Sanders, whoever it may be, I really am a, a I'm a believer that you just got to rank your guys and go with the best available player at that time most of the time. I mean, you know, once you rank your guys. And you think this guy's a little bit better? Don't change. Don't change your train of thought. You know, and stick with it. Uh, and that, that's pretty much how I, I kind of approach it. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with with that uh, with that thinking. Like you said, it, it is difficult uh, trying to balance getting your guys versus um, you know scooping up value when it comes to you. I, I think that's something that every fantasy player really struggles with every single draft. I know several of my drafts this year. I I I real I first of all, I waited on my second running back quite a bit again this year and I ended up with Rashad Jennings in a lot of my drafts, which would have been fine if I would have hit on my third running back cuz Jennings uh, ended up doing okay in in the the final few weeks of the season, uh, but I, I did not. So I, I had a lot of teams that were great at receiver, not very strong at running back. Um, it, it's it's interesting. I didn't I didn't realize I was that big of a Rashad Jennings fan, but I ended up with him on on like four teams this year, which was so bizarre. Um, but that's the danger, you know, is is you you want to scoop up value, but you 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 don't want to end up with too with too many shares of a player you really weren't that into in, in your pre-draft process. I think that's key too, that, that uh, you want to end up with teams with, 
with players you like. And uh, Jennings is not a guy I like, and it's probably why um, those teams did not do so well this season. But you live and learn. At least we lived, and we're moving on to 2016. Right. Louis, Louis, you uh, you got a big payday, $20,000 in the Football Guys Players Championship for third place. We have to ask you, uh, what, what, do you what are the plans? What is that money earmarked for? What are you going to be spending it on? You know what? I... Uh... It's funny, Eric. I, you know, my my I have a, uh, my wife and I have three teenage daughters, and you know they had to put up with me listening to fantasy football and talking fantasy football and watching all the football games, and so I decided just to let them as a group of four just decide how we're going to spend that money. So my wife and four teenage daughters are going to decide how we're going to spend it. <laughs> that, see that that is interesting. That, that uh, we've we've heard a lot of interesting answers uh, to that question on the show over the years. I don't think I've ever heard that one. Uh, where you have um, you know uh, four women deciding uh, what you're going to do with uh, with the money. Keep us yeah, that'll posted be interesting on that. To watch. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm very interested to see how that uh, how that money gets allocated, Louis. Uh, it, it has uh, well certainly a pleasure talking about your teams. I want to uh, uh, talk uh, with you about some of the news and notes around the NFL as well as some players that uh, weren't necessarily on your team this year to get your opinion on them. Before I do, I want I do want to remind everybody that you do have. Uh, basically one week to sign up for the world-famous FFPC Playoff Challenge at MyFFPC.com. It is a $200 entry fee, a $100,000 grand prize, a $425,000 prize pool. It's going to be a lot of fun this year. You can play against Louie. You can play against a lot of the other uh, 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 FFPC players that join this contest every single year. You have uh, one more shot in in quote-unquote season long to get a six-figure payday, which we're going to be paying out after the Super Bowl. It's a lot of fun. Check it out at myffpc.com. Uh, I want to thank Football Guys, Roto World, and of course our producer Rob for helping out with tonight's rundown. And uh, the first thing I want to talk about is uh, Ben Roethlisberger fully practiced in, uh, fully participated in practice yesterday. He looks like he's going to be a go. Martavis Bryant is questionable for those of you who have Week 17 championship games. But looking at this Steelers offense, Louie, Given the fact that when Le'Veon Bell was healthy, Big Ben was kind of hurt. When Big Ben was going, Le'Veon Bell was already out for the season. It seemed like injuries really prevented this Steelers offense from reaching its true potential. Do you think that that could cause guys like Roethlisberger, guys like Bryant, uh, not really a a guy like Antonio Brown, but Roethlisberger, Bryant, maybe Heath Miller, uh, would that cause them to be underdrafted in 2016? Yeah, I think so. I, I do. If you look at what I mean, I, you know, guys like Martart, Martavis Bryant, you know, he probably will hold his value. But if you look what's happened over the last couple of weeks, I mean, I think he uh, let a lot of people down. And then of course Heath Miller, I think he's getting up there in age now too. And there was uh, some high expectations for him this year in, the, in that offense, and I don't think they really panned out. And so uh, yeah, I think so. And you know, and, and you know, in the draft this past year, uh, you, you know, a lot of there were a lot of tight ends. Obviously, like like Heath Miller, you could pick up late in the draft that you might be able to plug in for a game or here and there. But uh, the, the tough thing with, with Miller, if you if you watch this year, they just didn't – there were too many games where you would have thought that they would have went to him more often, and they didn't. You know, he's one of those kind of guys that would, you'd have a lot of letdowns with. You know, I'll tell you another thing that I learned from the Steelers this year. I'm not listening to Big Ben when it comes to what players to draft and what players to target because everybody was all about Martavis Bryant this season – and then he gets suspended, and then Roethlisberger. I, in fact, it seemed like it was almost simultaneous uh, where Roethlisberger was talking about, oh, Marcus Wheaton is going to be the big breakout guy this year. You got to get Marcus Wheaton, and I think I drafted him on like two teams, so I, I didn't get, I didn't buy into it too much. 
But then Wheaton, again, d- does almost nothing with the opportunity, and Bryant comes back and looks great. So I don't. whatever Big Ben says in the offseason, not listening to him. I'm going Dude, to I remember that, too. I remember he was talking Wheaton up. He was even saying that he thought Wheaton should be the guy even when Bryant did start playing again, you know? I heard the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, – and it's one of those things where it's – you know, you, you want to look to players – for an edge in information, but you you still want to understand at the same time, like you know these aren't the coaches, and they're they're paid to be players. They're they're not talent evaluators, and it's 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 a fine line that we watch uh, when we're you know listening to what they're saying about the upcoming season. Uh, the Bengals have uh, AJ McCarron and Tyler Eifert full participants in practice yesterday, according to Bengals.com. Tyler Eifert leading the NFL in touchdown grabs. Actually, I don't know if he still is. I know he was, and he was tied for the lead after last week. I don't know if he still is. But certainly an insane season for Eifert. Uh, anybody who drafted him uh, after like the top uh, six or seven tight ends were gone certainly uh, got a very good bargain on Eifert. Where would you put him uh, among like the top four or five tight ends next year, Louis. I mean, how, how would you rank him? I mean, is Jimmy Graham, is Jimmy Graham still in that conversation? Does Tyler Eifert now go, you know, up ahead of Jimmy Graham next year? Obviously, we have we have Gronk as the number one. Well, I shouldn't say obviously. I think he's the number one next year. But then I'm not sure how it would have it after that. What are you thinking for tight ends in 2016? You know, I, I'm obviously Gronk's the guy. You know, and I still think he's going to be a first round guy and you got to go with him and then and I think Olsen's still up there as well I mean I say up there as well not up in the Gronk category but I think he'd probably be the second guy I look at Eifert has to I think Eifert still has to be up there in some of your top tight ends you know the the, the problem with what Graham happened with Graham this year if you look at what he did in Seattle and what the, you know the offense did with him it just didn't look like Seattle ever really was able to truly utilize him the way he was utilized you know in, in New Orleans and I don't know if that's just a one-year deal or or not, but I wouldn't want to take a gamble on it personally. I, I would probably drop Graham down quite a bit. I was hoping that Seattle would, would get in there and, and throw the ball to the tight end a lot more, but it just doesn't seem to work well on their offense. They're still a run-first offense, and uh, you're, you're still going to have Russell William, I mean Russell Wilson wanting to run the ball sometimes. And uh, but I think Eifert's up there. I, I, I think Eifert would probably be my third, my third, my third tight end even ahead of Kelsey uh, next year. I think that Graham is, is to me, going to be one of the more interesting players to talk about uh, after the NFL draft, sort of in, in, and not even after the NFL draft, but all the way up until, um, you know, mid-July. I think he's going to be a guy that nobody's going to want to draft, um, you know, because they're, they're going to think about, okay, well, Kelsey is on the upswing of his career. Eifert had a banner season last year. Even Zach Ertz crushed it at the end of, uh, of 2015. Uh, so nobody's going to want to take Graham, but I think as as drafts draw closer to the main event uh, in, in Vegas when the FFPC has um, all their live events out there, I think that people are going to then be switching to the narrative like, look, this is a proven player coming off a bad year. He got hurt. Seattle didn't know how to use him. They're going to have a whole offseason to put together a package for him. I'm not going to let him slip to the you know, the sixth round or the seventh round or, or wherever he's going to be going initially. And I think Graham is the type of tight end where his ADP, if you want to get him, I think you can get him at a pretty good deal early, but I think it's going to start climbing as as we hit late July and uh, go through August. I think that's when people are going to be like, I, I got to get him. I got to get some shares of this guy. You know, and I, I don't, I think that's a, not a bad strategy, Eric. You know, if you look at what happened this year with Jordan Reed and how low he was going in some of those drafts, 
and then what what wound up turning out. I mean, you know, you could see that Graham definitely has the talent. You know, he definitely has the talent. It's all about the looks and how many targets he's going to get. And so, um, I mean, it, it's not a, so. I, I think if, it's all about what you think that Seattle's going to start utilizing his strengths. And if they do, I think you could find yourself with one of those those big values. Yeah, Reed is is another guy I think has to be in the top five conversation. And then, of course, the fourth place finisher in the Football Guys Players Championship, Jimmy Wagner, right behind you uh, in, in the standings, Louis. He's uh, in the chat room. He suggested Delaney Walker uh, again. Marcus Mariota in his uh, sophomore campaign, maybe. He uh, takes a step forward with Walker. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a very fun uh, July drafting season until ADP shakes out. Uh, that, that's always interesting to me. Speaking of ADP, Jarvis Landry, uh, limited in practice yesterday. I, they're probably just saving him on his reps. This is according to uh, NFL.com uh, for the big uh, Patriots game this weekend. But Landry, Louis, is the number 10 wide receiver in FFPC scoring right now. Do you think his ADP ends up in the second round next year? I, I don't see why not. It, you know, it, if, if they continue on the path of throwing the ball, I, don't, I, I would assume that they're going to stay with Tannehill next year. I don't know. If they're going to stay on the path of throwing the ball a lot, I mean, look at the targets that the guy gets. I mean, it's all about those targets. I mean, if, if you're getting the looks and you're getting the targets, you're going to be a scorer. I mean, I, I like him. Uh, you know, last year I didn't get him in a lot of drafts because I thought I could be greedy. I thought I could pick him up in the fifth and sixth rounds, and then he was going earlier. And, and uh, I didn't get him in many of my leagues, but I really liked him. Yeah, I, I, Landry, I think, is going to be a guy that, uh, you know, another year with Tannehill, I, I, I think that because of all the targets, like you said, that he gets, he, he does have that uh, high floor that makes him uh, high, high floor with high upside, which makes him an attractive receiver to take uh, in the second round of drafts next year. DenverBroncos.com reporting that Emmanuel Sanders fully participated in practice yesterday. That Denver passing offense could be one in flux next year. Peyton Manning healthy enough to to uh, back up Brock Osweiler in uh, Week 17. I don't know what's going to happen in the playoffs with the Denver Broncos, and I don't know what's going to happen in 2016. What do you see happening in Denver between Osweiler and Manning, and how does that affect Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, and the rest of the Denver receivers there? You know, it's funny. I read, I read an article recently, and it was talking about you know, when you've got a stud receiver, normally, you know, you still go with him. And I know there's a lot to be said about that, and there's a lot of cases where you can see that. But then if you look at what Antonio Brown did whenever Roethlisberger was out, when they had uh, Michael Vick in there and Landry Jones, and, you know, you see what happened to him, and, and you can see how it could certainly affect the guys like Thomas and Sanders. You know, uh, Peyton Manning, I mean, obviously I drafted him in that league and, and had to had to eventually drop him because uh, I had to go out and start streaming my quarterbacks in the in the league that did well. And, um, you know, he's definitely a talent Hall of Famer and all that. And I just, you know, nowadays in the NFL, I just don't see how someone at the age of 40 can tr- hold up to a full season. And I would just be a little bit hesitant to uh, to risk too much on a draft pick, you know, taking somebody who might not be able to last the whole season. I think I kind of learned my lesson this year. We, uh, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, in regards to this Denver offense, we talked a little bit about the stacking. Uh, of the position um, for, for season long earlier in the show. And a, a team that I think could present the opportunity to do just that in 2016 is the Jaguars. Uh, Allen Robinson, of course, a full participant in practice yesterday with that shoulder. This is according to Jaguars.com. But Robinson really, really crushed it this year. Allen Hearns totally outperformed his uh, his draft position. And Blake Bortles obviously has been a, a very startable quarterback here in the month of December but next year, 
is this going to be too fresh in players' minds? Are, are guys like Robinson, Hearns, Yeldon, uh, maybe even Bortles to a certain extent, although I don't think he'll be overdrafted just because he'll be in that sort of area with quarterbacks where um, you know people just start snatching him up in, in round nine, round ten, right around there. But in regards to Robinson, Hearns, Yeldon, maybe even Julius Thomas in the FFPC format, you think these guys get overdrafted next year? Are people expecting too much from Jacksonville? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you look at what they did this year, you got to be impressed with it. I mean, uh, from a fantasy standpoint as well, I, I don't know so much about whether or not, I guess maybe I'm kind of tainted on Thomas right now because of what happened in that last game. But um, <laughs> right. as far as the passing game in general, I mean, you've got to be impressed with what they've got on the outside. You've got to be impressed with Allen Robinson. It's not just a one and done. I mean, he had a great rookie year, and he came back again and had another great season. I mean, you got you got to say that he's the real deal now. And then Hearns as well, you know, his deal is always about whether you're going to get enough targets. You know, he's kind of a lot of times he's the guy running down the sidelines and the long bomb, and he's kind of touchdown dependent. But he again finished, what, the last week with 30-some-odd points, and I think he had eight receptions for 100 yards or something. So I think they've got it going over there. And, you know, ultimately if you get that passing game going, you know, usually the running game opens up a little bit. So guys like Yeldon, I think they're going to have some value as well. I think they'll be a hot commodity next year in the drafts. I really do. I think you're right about Bortles. He's going to be like every other quarterback. You know, once you get down past those first couple, everybody else is going to be in that 8 to 10, 8 to 12 range as far as draft. But but he's certainly somebody to look at too. As, as far as a dynasty, he'd be somebody I'd, I'd love to have. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Bortles would be a great dynasty quarterback to be able to deploy uh, over the next uh, half decade with all those weapons there. Rashad Green uh, also, too, at, at, you know, my beloved Florida State Seminole, uh, I think that Green uh, definitely takes a step forward as a solid slot receiver for Jacksonville next year as well. Let's get to some emails here, Louie. Uh, this first one is from Tim in Lincolnton, Lincolnton North Carolina. Uh, greetings, Balky and Louie. Since Dave and Balky named Amir Abdullah their 2015 ascendant and he predictably then face-planted, we have a history of doing that, do you, <laughs> see him, yeah, do you see him being a value next year? At Caesars, he was regularly going in the fourth round, but I could see him slipping into the Devontae Freeman, Chris Ivory territory, 2015 territory of the seventh and eighth rounds. Would you guys be scooping him up there? Happy New Year. Thanks for the email. Tim in Lincolnton, North Carolina. I'd be all over Amir Abdullah if if he made it to the seventh round, Louis. Uh, you know, again, we don't know what's going to happen with with Joyke Bell, but given what we know now, given uh, what Amir Abdullah has shown uh, this season as a rookie, I think he's worth a seventh rounder next year. Oh, absolutely, I agree with you completely. And Joyke Bell, I'll be honest with you, I had him in several leagues this year. I thought he was going to be one of those kind of guys that, you know, he's a he's a reception guy, and obviously in the FFPC uh, PPR, you want reception guys and. And I was all over Joyke Bell this year because I thought he'd have a full season without any other, you know, kind of uh, share in the backfield kind of thing. But anyway, he turned out to be a dud. And I, I just don't think that's their future. I think Detroit will probably keep him. But I think Amir Abdullah is the future. And I think he very well could be that guy. He could be – if you get somebody like that in the seventh round, he could be the Devonta Freeman kind of guy. He really – and we saw this year too. I mean, with Calvin Johnson sort of slowing down, and and when Matthew Stafford has has had to launch the ball, you know, forty forty five times a game, it hasn't really paid off for the lines this year. So I think Abdullah could be a pretty key piece of that offense, and uh, I'm all over him in the seventh round. John in Granite City, Illinois. Happy New Year. Glad to hear you guys are still doing a show this Friday. It always makes my weekend so much better when I can escape into my iPhone during my morning runs. I was thinking about making a move in my dynasty league for Matt Jones. 
When is the proper time to make an offer to get him at his lowest value? And would surrendering surrendering my 107 be too much for him? Uh, John, we appreciate the email. Appreciate the kind words about the show. What do you think, Louie, about uh, Matt Jones? I, I'm not sure at what point. Um, you know, and, and I don't know how this guy's dynasty league works. If, if you can even make trades right now, uh, because I, I know a lot of dynasty deadlines have passed, uh, trade deadlines have passed. But Matt Jones, um, uh, a guy that that showed flashes this year, certainly looked really, really good at times, and then other times just you couldn't understand why this guy could not hold on to the football. But Matt Jones in, in dynasty, would you part with a 107 pick for him? You know. You know, I was pretty high on him in early in the season. I, I really thought he was going to kind of be the guy. But watching what Washington did this year, it kind of was a little bit perplexing. I, I'm all about trying to go get the three-down guy, the three-down back, uh, especially in PPR. And, and what I saw and how they used Chris Thompson this year concerns me a little bit because, I mean, they seemed to – I know he had a lot of injuries late in the season, but it just seemed like they were kind of relying on him quite a bit, even when Matt Jones was doing well. And so uh, it's a tough call. I mean – you know, late later in the rounds, I, I'm okay with going with a Matt Jones, but I tell you, early on, I, I generally like to get the guys a three-down back, and from what I've seen from Washington right now, it looks like they have Chris Thompson in mind for that third-down back. So that one oh that one oh seven could be a pretty expensive, pretty big price to pay for Matt Jones, in my opinion. Yeah, and and I think the I would not be trading any first rounders right now at this point in the season if your league's done. I think that those picks are only going to increase in value as we get closer to rookie drafts. So definitely hang on to the 107. I think that if you really want Matt Jones, I think you can do better than having to surrender that pick for him. Uh Morris in San Antonio, Texas, with Dez coming back too early from his injury this season and now needing surgery to correct other issues that surely came about because of overcompensation for the initial problem, is he still a rock-solid first or second-round pick next year? If he falls to the late third, I can't see myself passing on him in any drafts, but would a healthier, slightly lower ceiling option be better instead of Dez early? Thanks for reading. That's Morris in San Antonio, Texas. So Dez Bryant going into the redraft season of 2016. I think I'm staying away from him in the first round. Uh, you know, Dave always says, Louie, like, well, if you wouldn't take a guy in the first round, you shouldn't be taking him in the second. And I, I don't know if I totally subscribe to that theory, but if I get a rock solid guy uh, in the first round that I'm, that I'm a fan of and, and maybe does falls to the mid second, late second, I think I would, 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 con- would definitely consider him there. I don't know if I would take him there, but I definitely consider him uh, at that point. But first round, I don't know if I can do it next year with Des. You know, it's tough. You know, when you come off a bad season like this, you know, the guy's values and the emotional part, everybody always looks at the previous season and stuff. But you got to, you got to, you know, when you start thinking about the fact that, what, didn't all five of their offensive linemen make the Pro Bowl? And, and, and that may sound like just a running game kind of thing, but when you're protecting a quarterback like that and you give somebody time, you know, you got guys like Des Bryant, you know, they're, they're the elite receivers, and you give somebody time and that pocket the receiver is going to get open you know those cornerbacks even the best can only cover them for so long and I do agree I'm not going to pick him in my first uh eight to ten picks probably but I think he would be a consideration in the later first and in the first part of the second and of course it all depends on that quarterback position but man when you've got a good offensive line it's amazing what it can do for that running backs and those receivers and, you know, we're we're talking about this in January. A lot can change. I mean, if Des looks healthy in the preseason, I may be fine with taking him in the first round. If, if he's being deployed out there in uh, preseason week two, preseason week three, I, I, 
you know, I, I might be fine with it as long as he looks good and he looks healthy and Romo is all recovered, which he should be. So a lot can happen until then. Let's uh, let's wait and see uh, what happens with Des Bryant. So I still hold out hope that he could still return to his old self next year. Uh, Paul in Garden City, New York. Currently, Devontae Freeman holds nearly a 50 FFPC point lead on the next closest running back this season. Would you guys make him the 101 in any drafts for next season? Uh, what do you say about that, uh, Louis? Uh, Devontae Freeman, 101 next year? No, I, I couldn't do it. No, no. I mean, I don't mean you know wrong. What? He had a fantastic season, and he is the guy that, you know, that, that carried a lot of teams, including mine. And uh, I'm very thankful for the season he had. But, I, you, you you know, after looking at what happened this year with injuries and running backs and stuff, I think he's going to see a lot of changes in the draft. I, I You know, the wide receiver obviously has been much more dependent, you know. I mean, uh, or you can – dependable, let me put it that way. You've been able to depend upon them, and they just seem to be, um, you know, consistent scorers. And I, I don't think I would go with someone like a Freeman as a, as a 101. How about you, Eric? Well, I, I'm 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 with you um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, I, I don't think he's that pedigreed. I mean, this is a guy that was take being taken in like the seventh or eighth round in in drafts this this com- you know this past season. I don't understand how we can just vault a guy up to the 101 first round. Okay, but the 101, man, that's I mean, Le'Veon Bell's going to be healthy again next year. Julio Jones crushed it. Antonio Brown's been insane. Uh, there's just so many different options there, pedigreed options that have been up there that I'll feel more comfortable selecting over Freeman. What's interesting about this is I went and looked at um, fantasypros.com had their um, a group of like six or seven guys that put together their top 10 rankings already for next season. Now, granted, it was it was standard scoring, um, not PPR. And they had Freeman, I think his ADP was like the 107, but not one guy ranked him higher than the 105. Nobody had him... Uh, in the top four uh, of these experts. And I think everybody else on that list, their best ranking uh, was at least like three or two or something like that. So um, I wouldn't be able to do it. I'm sure there's probably going to be a couple of people that do next year. Um, but uh, the, those couple of people will not be me and it will not be Louie. <laughs> yeah, that's um, right. We well, you know, and they have Tevin Coleman coming, you know, right. I, mean, I would imagine he'll be healthy next year. And at the very least, it might be like a, a platoon kind of situation. It definitely could be, and I think that's probably the most likeliest, or that's the likeliest outcome. Uh, Final email tonight. This is from Danny in Washington, Virginia. Uh, He writes, Dear FFPC Gurus, in my basement league this week, I have to make a tough call. I'm assuming no Julian Edelman again, so do I play Ryan Matthews at the Giants or Keyshawn Martin in Miami? Thanks, guys. Danny in Washington, Virginia. P.S. I've been trying to get these guys to switch switch to a Week 16 championship for years, but they refuse to budge. How do I get them to? I'll be brief on this. I'm going to play Ryan Matthews at the Giants. Uh, over Keyshawn Martin, I just don't know how the Patriots pass catchers are going to shake out. And listen, people are going to get screwed over by this Week 17 championship sooner or later. So I think that that will just shake itself out and, and your league mates will realize Week 16 championships are so much better. Uh, Louis, where do you fall in this? Matthews or Martin should this guy start this week? You know, keep in mind, this is coming from the guy who played Julius Thomas over Alan Hearns this past week. So, you know, put it where it needs to be, but I would probably lean towards Kishon Martin, but mainly because uh, a couple of things. One, I think that, you know, the, the the carries are being split up so much in Philadelphia, I don't know what to expect. You know, how many touches Sproles or Murray are going to get? And it's just kind of, you know, it's just 
at least in the Kashawn Martin thing, you think maybe if New England gets to a point where they want to kind of, you know, rest players, they're going to be in the playoffs. I don't think they're going to be as, you know, reliant on somebody like Kashawn Martin, and they may just decide to, to give him a lot more targets than they would otherwise. So I would probably lean more towards uh, Martin. And, I, and I'll put this out there, too. Uh, while Louie and I may disagree, and, and Louie's going to say, oh, you know, this is a guy who uh, started Julius Thomas over Hearns. It's also a guy who won $20,000 in the Football Guys Players Championship. So, And I did not. So take that take that for what it's worth as well. Louie, this was such a uh, pleasure having you on the show tonight. Uh, I want to uh, wish you best of luck in the playoff challenge. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your insights. And uh, have fun uh, with your daughters and your wife spending your money. Yeah, thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. And, and, and uh, you know, I'm doing that because that way I can do it again next year. And, and that way they want to give me a hard time about you know, all the time I spend on it. But it's been a pleasure to be here, and good luck to all the guys out there. And uh, FFPC is a great site, and uh, I enjoy it. Oh, thank you so much, Louie. We enjoy uh, players like you coming on, and uh, I hope you have a great New Year, your honor. So that is going to do it for our show, ladies and gentlemen, tonight. I want to thank Louie Ditta. I want to thank – actually, I want to wish a happy birthday – to Mike Guzilak, a friend of the show, a FFPC player. Uh, it's his birthday today, so happy birthday, Mike. I also want to thank Honda. I want to thank Gatorade. I want to thank uh, FedEx, the FFPC, Rob, uh, Bryce, and most of all, all of you listeners that hung out with us uh, here on New Year's Day. Hope you had a great Christmas, a great Hanukkah, and uh, a great New Year as we enter 2016. Thanks a lot. We'll be back next week. Nelson Verbit, your 2015 FFPC Terminator champ, is going to co-host with me next week. That's going to be a lot of fun. Enjoy Week 17, everybody. Please remember to register for the Playoff Challenge. Happy New Year. Your weekend starts now. This has been another episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com that was broadcast live and heard around the world. Eric and Dave will be back next week with more analysis, interviews, and advice from a guest much smarter than they are. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you again next week. Let's go.